Warning, this episode contains both strong language and spoilers for the Disney Plus limited series WandaVision. Listener discretion is advised. stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisnyets. Listeners, I am super excited today to have back on the show the author of last year's stellar, absolutely stellar debut, Architects of Memories, and the very recently released Engines of Oblivion. Karen Osborne, welcome back to the show. I am delighted to be here. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I I have been looking forward to trying to have you back on the show and uh, looking forward to Engines of Oblivion since I saw the cover of Architects of Memory however long ago that was. Oh, they're such good covers. I I, so I sometimes good. just put them up together and look at them and go, oh, you're so pretty. It's so good. You know, uh, it, it's such listeners a... <laughs> just don't have the uh, the benefit of this, but uh, I, over video to you, can see architects in the background and uh, engines right in front of me, you holding it up, and they're just... Uh, I will have the uh, pictures in the show notes so you can see just how good these are. So Karen, you're going to be reading an excerpt from Engines of Oblivion, is that correct? Yep. So this is from chapter three. Our protagonist, uh, Natalie Chan, has just returned from a uh, from winning a battle. Um, and she had gone down to the battle to test what's called a puppet rig. Um, and the puppet rig kind of puts your uh, consciousness in a... Um, in a puppet on the ground so that you can fight and you can, uh, you know, engage in war fighting without actually being there. And so, so um, it is, it is cool. It's a cool concept until Natalie realizes that uh, she's being used to test um, a genocidal sort of way of doing it, which she did not sign up for and she does not approve of. So here is yep. here is Natalie coming straight out of the rig, um, breathing fire. Natalie landed back in her skin with a stumbling, half-caught scream. The mechanized arms of the rig scrambled to keep her upright, tweaking the IV in the port on the back of her neck. Pain settled between her shoulders like someone had inserted a fork and twisted her rhomboids like spaghetti. Familiar hands freed her from the rig, helping her to the floor. She clawed at her face, unhooking the oxygen mask. A coarse wetness at her temples and her neck dripped into the hollow between her shoulders. She tried to speak, to tell Ward and Ascanio that she was fine, because she was always fine in front of other citizens. But her mouth had other sounds in it, and her teeth were grit-choked with gold, gravel, and red death. Her stomach heaved, and she spat out chunks from her breakfast onto the floor of the lab. 
A headache as bright as a star clogged her vision. One of the doctors was yelling at Ward, something like, It's immersion medicine, not a superhero cocktail! <laughs> she spat on the ground to rid herself of the taste of bodies and bittersweet. What? What? What happened? The redshift sun caused a surge that severed our connection to the proxy, Ward said. You started seizing in the suit. We lost your pulse, so I made the choice to bring you out before the drugs wore off. You nearly died. Her tongue felt like cold rubber. Turn on the feed. Ward exchanged glances with Escanio. The proxy's fried, sir, Escanio said. We're just waiting for the infantry from Savannah to land right now, and you need medical attention. I'm fine. You were dead, sir, she said. In fact, I'm not sure you're still not... Just stop. <laughs> Natalie took a deep breath, then dragged herself to her knees, then her feet, shaking away an attending doctor's helpful, unwanted hands, choking down the indenture's typical refrain. I don't want care, please. I'm fine. That wasn't the case anymore, of course. She could get whatever care she wanted, but tradition was tradition. The lab was clogged with people, mostly her techs, clustered around the interface controls, but there were also R&D brains she didn't recognize. The three janitors were still inexplicably present, quiet and swaying in the corner like they were too scared to be asked to be dismissed. Ward hovered nearby, his forehead furrowed with wildly unprofessional worry. He tried to grab her hand, but she slapped it away. Hey, he blinked. Take it easy. Natalie shook her head. In a minute, she said. Right now, you're going to tell me why someone replaced the kicker EMP with my only redshift son. Nobody spoke. Anyone? She felt a frisson of nervous energy in her staff as they quieted. She cleared her throat, trying to channel her old captain, Kate Keller. At least one of you useless fuckers can give me the infantry feed. They were all dead silent now, her entire staff, doctors and techs and indentures, even Chatty Escanio. One of the staff at the main interface waved a hand, and suddenly she was staring at Bittersweet, smoothed out by the suit's 2D render bots on the screen in front of her, flat as a pancake, quiet as a desert. She had been hoping it had all been a bad dream. Natalie wiped the corner of her mouth with her sleeve and came back with a smear of blood. Her jaw ached. The view had changed. Instead of the puppet's view, she saw a multi-camera feed from the raid that followed. The puppet lay cracked and dead where she'd left it. Nearby, red dust kicked up in swirling, circular patterns, filling the quiet little indentations where people used to be. One of the techs whooped. That's a 100% kill zone, Escanio said. Far better than the war committee expected. You did it, sir. It's a win. You call that a win? Natalie said, in the Keller voice, the one that brooked no room for an answer. She still expected someone else to be sir for someone else to stand up and give her orders. But she was the one with the director's tags here. The soldiers reached the front door of the bittersweet mining complex, kicked it in, and shoved themselves into an orange-beige hallway decorated with photographs of smiling miners showing off the underground Celestium works, machines that dug the rocks from the walls and sucked the precious mineral from the stone. There were no workers in sight. Ash never smiled like that, Natalie thought. Tech only! Natalie's voice was ice. 
The plan called for a kinetic assault on base electronics using a kicker EMP with soldier-to-soldier -soldier engagement to come when reinforces landed. The plan was not to commit a fucking war crime. Ward cleared his throat. There was a call from the board about 20 minutes ago. Mr. Solano requested a different tactic, and the decision was made above our heads. Natalie felt something black and wild ignite just behind her heart. Why was I not on that call? This is my department. I make the decisions here. Who implemented the change? I did, said Escanio in a near whisper. They said we were going to lose Savannah, Ward said. So did they instruct you not to tell me? She said, tasting blood on her tongue. Escanio repelled a shaky breath. At least two indentures exchanged glances. Not uh, in those words, sir. Ward paused and stood behind her now, offering her gauze, and Natalie took it from his hand, spitting into it, still tasting blood. The indentures in the corner swayed. A dark-haired girl choked back a sob, and one of the boys rubbed her back. She gulped, her faint, faintly pale, reflecting the stinking red suddenly crawling up in the corners of the camera, the dust of human life. This is war, Natalie wanted to tell her, and war ruins everything it touches. This is war, and this is Aurora, and this is who you are. Ooh. It never gets better. Welcome to the rest of your life. The rules of engagement don't cover this, Natalie said. There were hundreds of indentures down there. Miners. Innocents. People who made the wrong choice when they took the long walk to their local recruiting offices. We want to fight. We fight human. We fight fair. We aren't the Vi. We don't massacre indentures. Someone is going to answer for what we just did. And it isn't going to be me. Whew. That gives me chills again. Natalie is having a bad day. And Natalie is having a very bad day. Everyone is having a bad day. <laughs> One of the things that strikes me from... That struck me the first time I read that and that strikes me again now is how many echoes of the Imperial Ratch trilogy are in it. And I think that that's just so stellar that... Like, I took a long break from reading spaceship books <laughs> and didn't get back into them until I picked up Ancillary Justice, like, three or four years after it came out, at the same time that I picked up Nine Fox Gambit, when I feel like a whole bunch of spaceship books were just, like, hitting the scene all at once. And this is exactly the same feeling <laughs> that I got from those. Oh, I'm blushing. Oh, I got the same feeling from those. Those books, I, I read them and I remember thinking, I, I, I don't think any, I, I think this is the, the best it's ever going to get. I mean, the, it was just, I, I mean, feeling like, like reading those books and feeling everything you felt all the way through them. It was just spectacular. So, so that's a huge yeah. compliment. And I'm, and as, as you can see, I'm blushing. So, and I mean every <laughs> word of you. it. My job here on your book tour is to fluster you as the guest as much as possible. Oh, great. <laughs> well, you're, going, you're probably going to succeed. <laughs> yeah. So this wouldn't be a book tour without some standard, like, oh, what were you thinking while you were writing this sort of questions? But, you know, this show isn't about the standard questions, so... One of the things that I'd love to know and that I'm sure listeners would love to know is 
what was your favorite thing from this book or from Architects that you had to trunk, that you had to cut out? That I had to cut out. Oh, man. That's a hard thing to answer because I cut out so much (laughs) stuff, both from Architects and this book. Um, I'm kind of a discovery writer. I like to to go Mm -hmm. and see what happens, which is... Not not usually the best idea when you're writing for publication because you have a contract <laughs> and a deadline and here you go. You got to get it done. There's a character uh, I had to trunk. She was going to be a part of everything that, that was happening mm. here. Um, she was mentioned in Architects of Memory. Her name is Astra Jessen. She shows up for maybe a couple of pages. Um She's mm-hmm. an associate of of the person who starts who starts all this, um, which I can't right. tell you because that would be a spoiler. Um, so read Architects yep. of Memory if you want to find out. So she's a close associate of that person, and um, she was on tribulation when everything went down, and she has been everywhere uh, doing um, supporting the the work of the Sacrament Society. Um, and so she mm-hmm. was going to show up in this and she was going to have a part. And uh, I I started writing the book and I realized that there was no room for Aster. There was no room for her. Mm. So I had to cut her. I had to cut her out. Um, and I'm hoping someday to maybe like somewhere to find a place to tell her story because it's really fun. And she and Natalie would have been like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she and Natalie would For not sure. have gotten along and it would have been spectacular. But um <laughs> But yeah, I had to yep. I had to trunk a whole character. Yeah, and that's that's no mean feat. To to have to take an entire character out of a book is uh you know not something to be taken lightly, <laughs> but it's it's something that you learn when you have to do it and especially if you're discovery writing like Sometimes you figure that out halfway into a book, the whole way into the book. I um, I I, I confess this a lot because I think it helps um, younger and newer writers to know that this stuff happens and that it's okay when it happens. Um, I, I wrote mm-hmm. the entire first draft of Architects of Memory before I realized who was behind the weapon. Someone else had been behind mm-hmm. the weapon the entire time. And I got to the end and I was like, no. No, clearly I got it wrong. <laughs> clearly that was wrong. And and I had to go back uh-huh. because it was all it was already there, like all the way through the through the book. I had I had put some things in and I was like, oh no, no, mm-hmm. clearly it was this person all along. Um and, and of course I'm you know, I'm of course now I'm thinking of WandaVision. It was Agatha all along. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I just watched that last night. It's no fabulous. More. Um It's, it's so, so good. good. Um, yeah, so, um, so Aster got cut out and I'm, I'm one of those writers also who thinks that cutting out is always better than, um, putting in, um, cutting out Mm -hmm. always like putting in can inflate your thing, putting in can make it longer or, or more confusing. Cutting out always tones it down. Cutting out always like always gives it a nice little haircut, um, it's it's mm-hmm. always the best choice. If if you feel like you're too confused, if you feel like you're too like annoyed at something, um just take some stuff out that doesn't need to be there. Even if you yeah. miss them. Even if you miss them. Aster, I'm so sorry. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll get you a novella someday. I 
would love to read that. Yeah, that that is, you know, I think that that's something, what you were saying about, like, getting to the end and realizing, like, oh, I got it wrong, is something that, like, happens in everybody's process, and it's just important to recognize, like, to recognize when you have been wrong and let yourself just be like, okay, well, gotta fix this now. Oh, yeah, that's completely right. Because, and it's not even so much that you were wrong, it's that your conscious brain works on a completely different uh, time schedule than your unconscious brain. Mm -hmm. And your unconscious brain is doing things at night, it's filing away memories, it's taking care of, you know, it's taking care of you. And when you wake up, you're not really the same person you were when you went to sleep. So it's... Yep. Uh, so you 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 can't always rely completely on your conscious brain as a writer to take care of everything um as much as we would like yeah. to sometimes you just get to the end of a thing and you just oh no oh no it was clearly agatha <laughs> it was agatha all along it was agatha all along <laughs> so now that we've talked about the thing that you miss most that you had to cut out i think it would be awesome without spoilers obviously if you could tell us one of your favorite things that you got to keep in so about three quarters of the way through the book there is a sequence where natalie takes someone eva um Mm -hmm. There are actually two EVA sequences. I love them both. I just love them both. Um, but uh, the, the one so I'm talking good. about is the second one. And it, it includes some of the best dialogue that I have ever written. Like, it's snarky. It's fun. It's it's just two people going, um, going at each other because, you know, they're kind of in love, but they're not in love, but they hate each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, they've got a very complicated relationship. And they're EVA and... Um, of course, that's very stressful. So it's the kind of situation that mm -hmm. you get into as a writer and you're just like, "Ooh, I love this. This is great. Um, yeah, but it wasn't with um, but it was with the character I had to cut. Uh, it was it was <laughs> not Jessen, but another character. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I, I did a lot of cutting. Um, <laughs> it's been great. Welcome to my life. Um, but it was with another character I had to cut because that person also no longer really had a place in the story once I once mm -hmm. I took a look at it when I was done with the first draft and it was like no this is too big so I I had to kind of get rid of that and I was very sad about it because it was it was just so much fun and so I kind of when I was rejiggering the second half I was like okay so who's going to be with her and of course it was one of those it was again an Agatha all along thing where I had already set it up and I had already done all the work mm -hmm. in the first half. And I was like, okay, so it's going to be, it's going to be this person. And so the best part about it is that I got to write that EVA uh, scene again with completely different nice. dialogue. And it just got to be like <laughs> as snarky and fun. Cause it was the same sort of dynamic and like, <laughs> mm -hmm. but with completely different characters. So I got to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and, and it was it was fun it was it was a good experience um because sometimes it's really just nice to to do it with two different characters and see what see what comes out mm -hmm. one of the things about engines of oblivion is that um it, it's sometimes hard to talk about it without spoilers because everything is constructed and like with a leads to b leads to c leads to t <laughs> yeah so all i can say is um 
you know, two characters here and two characters there. But trust me, it's awesome. I I haven't gotten to that part yet, but I am well on my way and I'm looking forward to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> your evil, evil plans. I have so many evil plans. I'm so here for your evil plans. <laughs> so a, a process question which uh, occurred to me sort of because I was thinking about uh, thinking about the Imperial Ratch trilogy is that Anne Leckie has uh, at one point posted a full playlist of like sort of the songs that inspired but also were the songs that she was listening to while she wrote each of the books. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there's anything in particular that you listen to while you're writing. I actually have a soundtrack for for the memory war but i don't listen to it while i'm writing um which uh sounds a little backwards but it's because when people are singing um and they have lyrics it totally messes up my brain and i ended up i i, I end up mm-hmm. kind of typing out the lyrics um that yeah makes sense so it's all soundtracks um and it's all like space soundtracks like i i write to interstellar a lot um because it's yeah, it's Ooh, yeah. suitably dramatic. It has a pipe organ, and I'm 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 all about pipe organs in space. I mean, someday I'm going to write that story. Um, <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. I I write to uh, the Mass Effect soundtrack. Uh, the mm, Expanse mm-hmm. soundtrack is also lovely. I love uh, lovely for that. Um, as for songs that I I think of when I songs on that soundtrack. Um, one of them is uh, the Foo Fighters. The sky is a neighborhood. Ooh, nice. oh, I love the Foo Fighters. Um, and Trip Switch by uh, Nothing But Thieves. Um, Peter Gabriel's version of Apremois, which is um, ooh, it has a it has a beautiful beautiful orchestra behind it. It's it's very 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 awesome. And That's very there, cool. there, there are tons. There are tons. Um, and actually, uh, the the version of uh, Daddy Lessons, where Beyonce and the and the chicks got together, oh. did that in front of. I, I think it was at nice uh, one of the awards shows, but that one too. That's on it. That's awesome. Well, I I would recommend for people who have the ability to listen to music while reading which I know isn't everybody. Some people just, that is too many sensory, and I get that. But I'd recommend looking those songs up and taking a listen to them either during or after reading The Memory War. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can pick up the complete Memory War duology at your local independent bookstore or wherever else you buy books. We are not in the business of shaming you as long as you get your books. We also love libraries. Please ask your library for the memory war. Oh, yes. Karen, before we get going, is there anything else that uh, you would like listeners to be on the lookout from you? I have a story coming out in Don't Touch That, an anthology of parenthood in, in, in SFF. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Nice. Um, I'm a parent now. I have a 19-month-old daughter. And so I wrote a story thinking ahead 
Um, I <laughs> well, I think a lot about moms and daughters and daughters and moms and like you know mm-hmm. you know the relationships in my own family going all the way up and down the down the pike and especially since I have a kid now and um, so I, I wrote about that not necessarily about my family but um, about parenting when you're when you're young and when you're old and it's it's it involves um, it involves monsters and paladins and a dress shop. And I, um, I'm pretty proud of it. So I'm not entirely sure when it's coming out. I know it's going to be sometime in 2021. So just, just, uh, just keep, keep your, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Yeah. Uh, and where can our listeners find you online so they can see all of the exciting announcements that you may have in the future? I'm online at www.karenosborne.com. No, you. Um, and on Twitter at Karenthology. Uh, well, at Karenthology. That's also my um, handle on Instagram um, and pretty much everywhere else. Fantastic. Well, listeners, uh, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to want to follow Karen there and that there will be some cool stuff coming down the pike. Karen, thank you again so, so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure once again. It is always so much fun to be here, Hillary. Thank you so much. Of course. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisnyex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember... Don't self-reject.